This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Equity Minds! I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm good, Bryce. Excited for this episode. We haven't spoken about crypto in a while, and our expert uh, today, all the way from the US, uh, is right in the middle of the crypto markets. And we're going to cover a lot. That's it, Ren. Uh, Natalie Brunel will be joining us, host of Coin Stories Bitcoin podcast. We cover current market conditions in the crypto landscape, why she prefers Bitcoin over any other cryptocurrency and where she thinks it's going to go from here. And we also talk about the issue of trust and some of the uh, problems that some crypto exchanges have been facing. But before we do, it's important that we remind you all that Bryce and I are not experts, we're not financial professionals, and we are not licensed. We're here learning just like you and nothing on this podcast should be taken as advice. As we always say, do not take financial advice from a podcast. But we also just wanted to jump in and say, Natalie strongly believes in Bitcoin and you'll hear that in that interview. And I think, you know, over the journey here at Equity Mates, we featured people who believe a variety of different things on a variety of different asset classes and investing styles. And if you are interested in crypto, if you're going to invest in Bitcoin or anything else, um, it's important that you listen and read and research widely. Yeah, Natalie is a great resource, but she's just one resource that you should be using for your research. And there are people that have the polar opposite view of her. I think Bryce and I, we sit somewhere in the middle. I I think it's just important that we call that out. Nice. Thank you to CoinSpot as well, who are supporting this episode and supporting Equity Mates as one of the major sponsors for FinFest. CoinSpot are one of Australia's trusted exchanges here. If you'd like more information or to find out if they're right for you, head to coinspot.com.au. But Ren, without further ado, it is our pleasure to welcome Natalie Brunel. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat with both of you. So if you haven't come across Natalie before, she's an investigative journalist, podcast host, and educator. She hosts uh, Coin Stories Bitcoin podcast. And as uh, Ren alluded to in the, at the start of the episode, we're going to be talking all things crypto today to get us up to speed with what's been happening because it's been moving all over the place, just like the public markets. But before we get started, a reminder before we uh, 
crack in that we're not experts, we're not financial professionals, and we're not licensed. So we are here learning just like you and nothing on this podcast should be taken as advice. A shout out as well to CoinSpot, who is sponsoring this episode, the trusted crypto exchange here in Australia, and also one of the major sponsors for FinFest. So thank you to CoinSpot for the support for Equity Mates. But Natalie, let's crack in. So we normally ask people who come onto the show for their first investment to tell us the story of their first investment, but we want to tweak it a bit. When did you first come across crypto and what was your first crypto investment? Uh, sure. So I first was exposed to this industry in 2017. And my background is actually news and journalism. So I was working as a local news reporter for, in the US, it was an NBC News affiliate in the state capital of California. And I was covering all kinds of stories, uh, but I had friends who lived in San Francisco. The state capital of California is very small. It's it's Sacramento. I don't know if you guys know, know it at all, but very small, not a lot to do. So a lot of people go on their weekends to to the Bay Area, to San Francisco or Napa Valley. And so I would spend a lot of my weekends there and developed a close friend group um, who was really in the space. One of them had previously worked at Coinbase, a friend of a friend did. Uh, one of them lost 10 Bitcoin on Mount Gox. Oh, oh, no. And obviously that's worth a lot today. And they just were talking about crypto in general. And so I was curious, but at the time, I remember I did not get it. I thought that this was basically like investing in an early tech company or a tech stock. I thought it was similar to kind of being early in on Facebook. Uh, but I was also you know, worried about losing money because to be frank with you, when I was young, I did not learn about stocks and how to invest in the financial markets. I had very little financial education. Uh, I, I learned and I studied journalism. So I learned a lot about different areas. Um, that I would eventually report on, but not economics. And I, I really wish I could go back and talk to my younger self and tell her to pick up a macroeconomics book. But that's when I first got in. I actually I bought some, not really understanding it. I bought a couple of the different cryptocurrencies because obviously other cryptocurrencies were cheaper. And I thought at the time that they potentially were viable. Changed my mind on that, which we can get into. <laughs> um, but I bought into Bitcoin. I'm surprised that I never sold. I wrote it up the, the bull market then and watched it crash. And two years later, a mentor of mine gave me the book, The Bitcoin Standard. And that's what changed, ultimately changed my, my career. It changed my life. I, I felt like a veil was lifted off my eyes. I finally understood what money is, what the financial system is and how it works. And I really went hard on Bitcoin and started my podcast and all that. Love that. And we'll, we'll get into uh, the Bitcoin, the other uh, cryptocurrencies debate and, and stuff like that a little bit later. But, uh, but I guess to just really set the scene for people, I think uh, a lot of our audience, were because we're mainly focused on public market equities here, a lot of our audience were probably quite interested in crypto and NFTs and everything that was going on in 2021. But uh, as prices came down, I think interest waned a little bit. So for people that maybe haven't been paying too much attention to crypto in 2022, give us the the update. Yeah, well, it's really not surprising, I think, how big of a bubble was formed when all of this money supply was injected into the markets through the stimulus, through the response to the pandemic. And that money had to go somewhere, right? So we saw a huge increase in the price of real estate. We saw all the equities balloon. I mean, more money went into equities 
in one year or one year and a half than in the previous 17 years combined. And of course, a ton of money also went into crypto. I think it's really a a sign of the times because we live in a world in which no matter what country you live in, the purchasing power of your fiat dollars or your fiat currency is reducing every single year because the supply is expanding. And so you need to put your money into assets. This is, again, something I didn't understand when I was younger. You need to try to get hard assets. For most people, that's a house, at least one house, right? That's the goal. That's the American dream. You have a house and it appreciates in value. I can't believe how much real estate has gone up over the last two years. But crypto then emerged as a sort of a new asset class. It's both very volatile, right? This is a very new industry, a new ecosystem that doesn't have a lot of regulation. And in the same way, like when the internet came out, anyone can create a website and anyone can create a cryptocurrency. And when there's easy money, you know, when interest rates are lowered by the Fed, there's easy money. There's a lot of venture capital that can go into these ICOs and these new startups that may or may not be viable or or be long-term profitable. So you have to be very, very careful because we saw a lot of these projects and these platforms fail in recent weeks when all of a sudden the liquidity drained and the Fed started to tighten. So I really urge people to be very careful. And I now that's part of my education process because yes, Bitcoin is still volatile, but Bitcoin is really trying to address the problems that we have in our financial system. And it is pristine in terms of how it's programmed and the technology network behind it to become a global reserve asset. Whereas the other cryptocurrency tokens, we will see slowly but surely they're going to be deemed securities. And uh, personally, I don't think Many of the cryptocurrencies or pretty much all the cryptocurrencies will exist except for Bitcoin. But that's just my opinion. Wow, that's a big call. Love that. Love big mm-hmm. calls here on Equity, right? It's bold <laughs> predictions. <laughs> so Natalie, putting price aside, uh, and you mentioned that there uh, sort of the stress and pressures that a few of these platforms and coins have come under. There is a lot of discussion at the moment around trust. So mm-hmm. can you help us understand, you know, there's Celsius, then Three Arrows, um, Terra USD. What's been happening there, and, and why is it all of a sudden sort of coming to a head and, and making headlines? Mm-hmm. You know, trust. I think is a, a really interesting and important world word within this whole new world that's emerging with crypto because. I think that a lot of people inherently are no longer trusting the the institutions that run everything from our money to our social media, right? So there's already, I think, an inherent distrust. And I think people are trying to figure out ways to earn money, earn a, a high yield and, you know, build wealth for themselves because it feels like it's getting harder and harder, right? To just maintain the purchasing power of your money and to beat the rate of inflation and beat the cost of living. Um, so I can see why there's like a lot of, you know, speculation in, in the space at large. And so these companies would, would emerge that have Bitcoin sort of as their, as their pristine core collateral, but then they would loan out, you know, against their Bitcoin and maybe take on leverage that they were not prepared for, um, in the case of a really significant bear market. And so again, now you're, Bitcoin is a trustless system. The point of the network is so that you don't have to trust any third party. You can transact and trust the network, all the people and the consensus mechanism and the programming, as opposed to trusting any one third party. And when you trust a platform that's potentially, you know, trying to sell you on earning a 
5, 10, 20% yield, you're now reintroducing trust into the system. And can you inherently trust that company? And it's been proven that there are definitely some actors in the space that couldn't be trusted. And I do feel so, so sorry for the people that have lost their life savings in everything from Luna Terra to uh, Celsius to Voyager. I actually know some people who had a ton of money on these platforms, but you know, the truth is this is also capitalism, true capitalism at work because we don't really have capitalism anymore in the sense that we have a too big to fail mentality where the Fed and taxpayers essentially come in and backstop the big, a big company from failing, right? They inject liquidity back. Um, they, they do a big buyout essentially and the taxpayers are left footing the bill for future generations. Well, here in crypto, very new ecosystem, no regulation. If it fails, it fails. You don't necessarily get your money back. And in true capitalism, risk is rewarded, but it can also be punished. So you have to be really, really careful. And I think that's what happened essentially. We have companies that took on too much leverage. They cross-collateralize with Bitcoin, which means that when all the other stuff goes to zero, they have to sell their Bitcoin, which brings Bitcoin down. And it's just a cascading domino effect. Um, so again, be very, very careful. Yeah. So I think on that point, for people who are worried about some of these institutions, but want to get exposure to crypto, what are some of the steps they should take? What are some of the steps, I guess, you take to uh, invest in this ecosystem confidently. Yeah. So I put my money where my mouth is and I'm going to tell you exactly what I do. Um, after spending countless hours studying both Bitcoin as well as crypto at large, I decided that Bitcoin is actually the least riskiest place long-term that I can put my money. I know that it's volatile in the short term. So I know I need to calculate the current expenses that I'm going to need for say, three, six, 12 months. But in terms of a savings account or a savings technology, there really, in my opinion, is nothing better than Bitcoin. And what I think is the absolute safest is taking self-custody. And so basically that means going to an exchange, purchasing Bitcoin, and then taking a cold storage wallet, which maybe sounds complicated at first, but it's literally like riding... I mean, it's like driving a car. Once you learn at 16 years old, you pass the test, a little bit of practice, you're fine on the road, right? Might've been scary when you were 16 to first get behind the wheel, but really it's the same way. You know, you learn how to use the cold storage wallet, which is no different rather than a, you know, a hard drive. And you have to have your seed phrase protected. You have to know where that is, make sure it's protected. And you essentially take self-sovereignty over your Bitcoin. And I think that that's the ultimate safe way because now you are your own bank. You're trusting yourself. You don't have to trust an institution and, and its liquidity. And sometimes that's, you know, too intimidating for people. So some people do leave it on exchange that does, again, introduce a little bit of risk because you have to really trust the uh, the place where you're storing your, your Bitcoin. You have to hope that that platform doesn't get hacked. There's a misconception out there that Bitcoin can be hacked. Bitcoin has never in its 13 years of existence been hacked. The network has never been hacked. But third parties, these exchanges or platforms have been hacked. Um, so you, again, you have to be careful, but the easiest way is cold storage, taking self-custody of your Bitcoin, which is what I do. Mm. Uh, we should uh, shout out. So CoinSpot, we're throwing a big festival later this year and, and they're sponsoring that. They are one of the only exchanges in Australia that uh, I believe hold their crypto in cold storage wallets and allow you to implement your own cold storage. Natalie, you just, you threw out a number of terms there that I, I think a lot of people aren't familiar with. Um, okay. For people to extend the analogy of being a 16-year-old and driving your car, you learn from having your parents sit in the passenger seat and telling you to slow mm -hmm. down and keep two hands on the wheel 
for people yeah. who, who want to learn about some of these terms about cold storage, how to take their crypto off exchange, what were some of the best resources you've come across? Where are the, some of the best places they can learn? Yeah. And, and you know, that's a great point. I think that if you can learn directly from someone that you know and trust who can sort of walk you through it, hold your hand, I think that's an awesome way. So if you can connect with someone who's a Bitcoiner, who knows self-custody, that's awesome. But luckily also today we have the internet, which is jam-packed with resources. Um, so anything on YouTube, BTC Sessions, who's based in Canada, he does amazing tutorial how-to videos. Anytime you YouTube anything like how do I you know uh, take my Bitcoin into self custody? You'll find so so many resources. I talk about it sometimes with my guests. You can follow the instructions that come with some of these uh, cold storage wallets and products. The companies generally have someone that can walk you through the process as well. If you want to do something like multi sig, I highly recommend the companies Unchained and Casa. Uh, They're both great, and they have team members who can walk you through that process, which kind of makes it even more secure than taking just self custody on your own. And so there's just so many ways to to learn. And again, it feels people th- feel it's intimidating at first, but again, there's a learning curve to almost everything, especially with technology. And once you get the hang of it, just like setting up a computer or email, it's really, really easy after that. Love that. So yeah, to Ren's point, if you are interested here in Australia, um, it might be worth looking at CoinSpot. They are Blockchain Australia certified home to two and a half million valued customers as well. But Natalie, there's no doubt you're bullish on Bitcoin here at Equity Mates. We're uh, sort of much more on the equities side and uh, love mm-hmm. hearing different views though on the show. Let's get to the crypto ecosystem because you said earlier in the in the conversation that there's a, there's a probability that all other crypto uh, assets won't exist and it'll just be Bitcoin left standing. And um, you know, there are a lot of coins out there that I can see that case playing out. But um, you know, I, I want to understand why you think Bitcoin is the one that is going to last and help us to understand this debate and where you fall on Bitcoin v. Well, how many coins are out there now? 7,000 or something ridiculous. (laughs) How's this going to play out? Yeah. So there are, I think, 20,000 cryptocurrencies out there. I think we hit last month 20,000, which is kind of crazy to think (laughs) about, right? So I had to really do my homework around this this space because it's very confusing, especially when it's sort of um, crypto in general is sort of a buzzword, right? And the metaverse and NFTs. And so we all get sort of excited about the idea of a future of digital money, digital assets and things built on this technology that is so trendy called the blockchain. But people really have to dig in and understand what the blockchain is. I mean, Bitcoin is the first true and longest operating blockchain in the sense that it is a public digital ledger that's maintained by the entire network. It is completely decentralized, has no uh, uh, point of failure, no CEO, no headquarters, and it relies on proof of work, which means that there's a competition that's going, there's an incentive system which really makes it valuable and um, and grow. And the miners have to expend energy in order to be a part of this, this, this network in order to try to compete to earn Bitcoin. Um, so it's really a bulletproof network and a bulletproof protocol. 
But in cryptography in this space, a lot of different projects and tokens emerged. Because again, just like when the internet came came out, uh, a bunch of websites came out that in the dot-com bubble, you can probably remember, most of them don't even exist anymore. And we don't use things like MySpace anymore. Pets.com you know, evaporated, even though some of them had like Super Bowl ads and had stadiums, I think, with names on it. This is a very, very new emerging ecosystem. A lot of the other projects and tokens and even NFTs are built on the smart contracts and some of these other cryptocurrencies currencies. But what you have to... Um, what you start to study when you really go in-depth on this space is... I'm going to refer to a pyramid and I have to attribute this because I did not come up with it. It is Jeff Jeff Booth who I learned this from first because he is brilliant. You should read his book, Price of Tomorrow. It sets up why we even need Bitcoin. And it's not about... Books are not about Bitcoin, but it tells you why we really, really need it. Um, but you can you can think of a, a triangle in this space of cryptocurrencies. On one point, there's decentralization. On one point, there's security. On one point, there's scalability. And so Bitcoin has actually um, solved, most importantly, decentralization and security. And it's working on scalability through layers. But the others, um, eventually, you sacrifice one of the two as you move further and further along developing these blockchain projects because you either sacrifice decentralization because it gets too uh, economically expensive and basically you centralize because economically it makes more sense and you might as well just have, have had a database rather than a blockchain or you sacrifice security and the consensus mechanism does not have enough people or um, enough of a, a strong protocol that it would work long term. And so now when you start to bring it out long term, you're basically speculating on projects that may fail long term. Maybe you make a huge profit at the very beginning when the venture capital flows in, when those early... Um, gains take off because there's liquidity in the area. But what about pr the project long term and who's backing it? What's the supply? You know, this is something Michael Saylor raised recently. Ethereum, he argues, is a security. And it's unethical in the sense that it's selling itself as not a security, but there's an issuer. There's someone, there's a group in charge that can expand the supply. They can limit the supply. They've forked it multiple times. We don't know the... um the issuance schedule. So Bitcoins has been programmed for the next thousand years. You know what the schedule is, how the consensus mechanism works. Again, the mining protocol and the consensus mechanism is bulletproof and it's growing more and more decentralized as adoption grows. So I think it's, you know, it, you kind of can get into the weeds and you have to really do your homework and research, but I have not found any project that has long-term viability in the same safe, risk-free way that Bitcoin does. Um, because Bitcoin essentially creates in a digital way, hard money, true scarcity. There will never be more than 21 million Bitcoin. No one can change that. And not only that, but it allows you to transfer value with no third party, no trust from here to across the world in the matter of seconds at most 10 minutes for pennies on the dollar. I think it's a truly incredible invention. I think it's going to be as powerful of an invention as the internet was in terms of transforming our lives and bringing freedom and prosperity. And uh, and that's why I'm really bullish on it. Yeah. Wow. Natalie, you, you certainly are certainly are bullish on it. There's no, uh, there's no getting around that. There's an interesting point there around Ethereum. Most people are familiar with Bitcoin at this point. And I think a lot of people are also uh, getting more and more familiar with Ethereum and we're hearing things, decentralized finance, smart contracts. We're obviously seeing NFTs and stuff like that. I'm interested to, I guess, dig into your thoughts a little bit more around Ethereum. As you said, Michael Saylor said it was a security. Um, does that mean that you don't believe it 
it has staying power. It will scale. Um, it's it's secure. Uh, yeah, I guess I'd just love for you to unpack uh, Ethereum a little bit more because I know a lot of people after Bitcoin, that's the one they're most familiar with. So first of all, I think that people are... Um they think that it's necessary right now because of the idea of building things on top of it and the smart contract aspect. But again, that doesn't make the underlying technology and the people behind it reliable in the long term and viable in the long term. In fact, I think that in the future, if you are excited about the idea of something like NFTs or or some of the other uh, emerging projects in the space, I actually think those will be built on Bitcoin. And we have a lot of companies um, and work in the space from the the Tarot update to companies like Fediman and uh, Stacks and people who are actually working to build on top of Bitcoin. So actually, I think all of that energy will transfer eventually to Bitcoin. The other thing I want to say is I do believe it is a security. There is an issuer. It's not a commodity and it's not uh, hard money the way that Bitcoin is. And I think that people are looking to all of these other spaces and speculation, even in terms of like NFTs, right? Why, why do you really, why do most people really want an NFT? Because they think that they could probably sell it for a whole lot more. It's where they can store money and it's going to go from you know, $10 to that $300,000 board ape. But the only reason they need to think in that way and even make those speculative questions is because our money is losing value. We can't trust our own money. We have to find a way to put it somewhere from real estate to stocks to now crypto in order to try to make a return. But now imagine a world where Bitcoin has taken over. More and more people take it seriously, adopt it. It's in reserves. Now you don't need to speculate because your money is actually going to go up in value. We haven't had a world like that in a very long time. So I think it's hard for us to envision it. And so that opens up the door for NFTs to be more of a creative venture. I do understand why artists would be excited about the idea of, hey, there's there's ownership within the blockchain. So I get paid out at, at every transfer of the art piece or the musical piece. I, I get all that. But when you're talking about, you know, sports tickets right now on the dang blockchain. Again, a database serves the same purpose. Right now I could do a QR code to a concert and a sports of arena. No one can copy it. They can't like transfer transfer it. It serves pretty much as an NFT, but maintaining it on a blockchain will be far, far, far too expensive. These companies will realize. So, um, so that's kind of my take in general in a way that's most understandable, I think. Yeah. Interesting. So Natalie, we've seen around the world, central banks now turn to form their own sort of digital currencies and, and start testing and mm-hmm. understanding how it can work for them. What are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, so I am very opposed to central bank digital currencies, although I think many nations uh, will try to issue them in the same way that China has been testing its. Um, you know, I think that people should be very worried because programmable money that's controlled by the government is a very dangerous thing. Number one, it allows them to monitor everything you're doing financially. Number two, being programmable, that means that there can be expiration dates to your money. They can say, hey, we're issuing fiscal stimulus stimulus or this helicopter money, but you have to spend it by this date. Otherwise it disappears. So it will really disincentivize the saving because they're going to tell you when and when you can't spend it. Um, so I don't like that. They can also decide where you can ethically spend it, right? So they can encourage you or maybe give you a discount to spend in certain places uh, rather than others. And that's essentially the government picking winners and losers. Again, that's not capitalism. That's crony capitalism. That is favoritism. That is leading us to a form of government that 
that I do not want to be a part of. Uh, and so I think that there are a lot of bad things that could happen. In in China, they've also issued a social credit system. So you can actually, you know, they could shut off your account if they feel you're doing something that the government doesn't like. I think that it leads us to the potential of a very dystopian situation. But at the same time, I think that this is going to drive more Bitcoin adoption because people will see that they'd rather have freedom money than money that is basically chained to the government. So uh, I do think that we will see more and more emerge. I don't think that the powers that be will release their prerogative on money very easily. But at the same time, I think this is all ultimately going to be good for Bitcoin because it's the one thing that people will be able to invest in that the government has no control of. The counterpoint to the central banks and the and the countries that are looking at central bank digital currencies is El Salvador uh, with their Bitcoin-loving president, who I believe you have interviewed. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong there. Tell us about it. What do you think? Uh, What's your view on, uh, I guess, maybe other countries doing something similar? Um, Yeah, what, what are your thoughts on... What's happening down there? Yeah, so I had the the pleasure of going to El Salvador twice this year. And one of the times I got to sit down with President Bukele, it was not an official interview. It was just a one-on-one meeting. Um, I'm hoping that he does sit down with me for an interview eventually. But it was really fascinating to see Bitcoin adoption in a place where it's the first country to legalize Bitcoin as tender. And there's a bit of um, you know a juxtaposition that you, you see when you visit. First of all, there's a misconception that El Salvador is like the most dangerous place in the world. I felt so safe there. And I'm so glad that I went and met the community members that I did in both Bitcoin Beach, but also I was in uh, San Salvador, the capital for a while. Bitcoin Beach is a place where you've probably heard of it. Bitcoin is really immersed in the local economy. They're doing a ton of outreach to educate people. The merchants all accept Bitcoin. They transact in Bitcoin. They're learning now to save in Bitcoin because one thing that I learned that was interesting is in El Salvador and in a lot of these developing emerging markets, they don't have the that like mentality or or behavioral pattern to save the way that maybe people in the West do with a savings account or a, a CD in the bank or stocks and bonds. They really live um, paycheck to paycheck or hand to mouth, or sometimes they take out loans with high interest rates in order to be able to purchase things that they sell. So they really need saving. And so Bitcoiners that are out there are really doing a lot of outreach to teach them that, to teach them how to use Bitcoin and also to eventually save in Bitcoin, which I think is awesome. At the same time, a ton of education needs to be done because when you uh, go away from Bitcoin Beach, you go to the capital, a lot of people are a little bit more hesitant. They don't necessarily trust Bitcoin. They're worried about it. Um, they just don't they just don't understand it because the outreach has not reached uh, those areas yet they only got basically a Chivo wallet. They were given $30 in Bitcoin and a lot of them just transferred it right to cat or to dollars or cash because they just didn't understand Bitcoin. So I really do think that the country needs to do more in terms of investing in educational efforts. But I also will speak against, you know, all of this criticism that just blankly states that this is a dictatorship and that Bitcoin is somehow going to be the fall of the nation. You know, if you think about Bitcoin, it is a money that can never be manipulated, never controlled. It is out of the hands of government. I don't understand many dictators who actually are for a piece of freedom technology that they will never be able to control or expand the supply of. If they want to do something with the country, they can't just expand the supply of Bitcoin in order to finance it. They're going to have to get that money from somewhere. Um, so I think it's actually extraordinarily progressive. And it makes sense that in these emerging markets that pretty much have to take risk because they are on the bottom of the, of the food chain when it comes to their dependency on the dollar. And uh, there are, uh, the cost of living and the living situation there is, is different 
difficult for so many people. A lot of people are unbanked. I mean, Bitcoin is actually a very revolutionary thing for a leader to say, hey, I'm going to take a chance on this and maybe it will be part of my legacy. So I don't think we should have heroes in Bitcoin because you never know. Someone could always do something you would expect. And I think none of us know, the, you know, some leaders on a personal level, but I do think it's extremely impressive and progressive for the president of that nation to move to a Bitcoin standard slowly. So Natalie, you've mentioned uh, throughout this that you think Bitcoin is a great sort of um, asset and an inflation hedge and Bitcoin has been spoken about for a while as the digital gold and a store, a great store of value. And traditionally, we've seen gold as the inflation hedges and somewhere to, to store value. But Bitcoin has moved pretty much in line with a lot of the growth stocks over the past few years. And subsequently, growth stocks are down. Bitcoin is also mm-hmm. considerably down from its highs. So I guess, how do you join those two arguments together? And can we still say that Bitcoin is digital gold and it is a store of value when really it's just proven to to move and correlate with mm-hmm. the other growth asset classes out there? I'll uh, break that down into to two parts. Okay, first, let's look at the, the short term. Bitcoin, first of all, is is very new and it's a very misunderstood asset. A lot of people literally don't know what it is, why it exists, um, how it could potentially fix our financial system. And it's 24-7. It moves 24-7. It's extremely liquid because of how small it is as a new uh, asset class. So I'm not surprised by short-term volatility because as liquidity at large changes in the markets, it's going to affect something that you could literally sell at night. Uh, you can't just sell your house, right? And you can't just get the gains from your, your home that appreciated 30%, but you can sell your Bitcoin. So it's going to be choppy. There's you know um, traders that, that really profit on the volatility. There's still not a lot of clarity that can lead to its to- sort of stabilizing when it comes to regulation and sort of these, these bigger um, companies coming into the space. So short term, it's very volatile and it has been correlated with the assets, with equities, especially in this, you know, dump of liquidity that we had in response to the pandemic. Everything shot up and now things are all draining down. However, I'm really impressed with the resilience of Bitcoin. It hasn't drawn down as bad as some stocks have. So hopefully that means that people are starting to understand what it is. You know, it, it, it didn't draw down the 80, 90% that it has in previous bear markets. So I actually think that it's amazing the that it stayed in the range that it did. But that being said, Look at it long term. Look at it long term. I, I mean, in an, as an inflation hedge over the last 10 years, if you got in Bitcoin, even let's just say five, six years ago, there's nothing that has beat inflation the way that Bitcoin has. It has beat all the stock indices. It has beat, you know, Tesla and the S&P 500 and Apple and gold and all of them almost combined. I mean, this is, I think, the most revolutionary financial opportunity that has ever existed, especially for younger generations that have probably felt left out of the system, right? Like they graduate from school, they can't afford a house, stocks are more expensive than ever. You know, Bitcoin, although the price of one Bitcoin's a lot, price of a Satoshi is not. And you can start stacking really quickly and, and earn, you know, start earning fractions of a Bitcoin. So when you zoom in, yes, it's short-term volatile correlated. And I think that that will change. But zoom out and it is a great inflation hedge. Well, Natalie, I, I absolutely love the the passion that you have for Bitcoin. Bryce and I are interested in Bitcoin. We, we definitely don't have the level of conviction that you do, but uh, we love hearing uh, from people like you and, and I guess learning and hearing different perspectives. Uh, so we want to say a massive thank you for joining us today. 
Uh, we also want to say a massive thank you to CoinSpot for sponsoring this episode and FinFest. Uh, and if people want to hear more from people who believe in crypto, believe in Bitcoin, or maybe don't believe uh, as much in crypto, come along to FinFest. There's heaps of speakers there. There'll be a full, uh, there'll be a number of crypto sessions. So you'll really be able to learn a lot more and you'll be able to ask a lot of questions, uh, especially if you've got questions for what what Natalie was speaking about today, because I've certainly written a lot of notes and I'm going to be doing a lot of Googling and a lot of research after this. So Natalie, uh, a massive thank you for joining us. If people want to follow you online, if they want to listen to your podcast, if they want to hear more from you, uh, where should they go? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been great. On Twitter, I'm at Nat Brunel. Uh, my podcast is called Coin Stories. It's on YouTube and Apple, Google, Spotify. And you can also um, chat with me on my... You can go to my website and message me. It's talkingbitcoin.com. Love it. So make sure you check those out. We'll include links to uh, to the pod and uh, your Twitter feed in our show notes, Natalie. And yes, just a reminder that it is important that you feel you can trust your exchange in the world of cryptocurrencies. So uh, check out CoinSpot. Their website is coinspot.com.au. They are a trusted Australian platform, blockchain Australia certified, home to over two and a half million customers. So Natalie, it's been an absolute pleasure. Now we probably need someone on that will give just as hard a bear case <laughs> and we put the two together and yeah. see who wins. <laughs> you'll, have to call, you'll have to call up Vitalik. Yeah. <laughs> true, well, true. Look, if we had do, his, do number, his number, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe you've got his number. We can take that offline. But, um, <laughs> no, I don't want his, I don't want his number. <laughs> <laughs> that would be epic. Well, if we do find someone uh, on the bear side, it would be an awesome episode to get you back on and we can um, go head to head. But thank you so much for your time your and your sharing your passion and energy for uh, a, an asset class that is, as you said, still relatively unknown, does come with risk and um, certainly one that we're still trying to figure out ourselves. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, we'll definitely be keeping in touch. Thank you so much, Natalie. Thank you. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Equity Mates. We love hearing from you. So drop us a line at contact at equitymates.com or even better, go to your podcast player and leave a five-star review. Also, a reminder that the Equity Mates content train doesn't stop when you've run out of episodes to binge. We've got a brand new website, a Facebook discussion group. We're on Instagram, YouTube, and slowly making our way as an influencer on TikTok. Well, that's Ren. So uh, come and say hello and join the community. We'd love to welcome you. Until next time. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equitymates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equitymates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. 
Equity Meets Media does not operate under an Australian financial services licence and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website, where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.